Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. The Lord is my salvation. Amen. Praise God for saving our souls. Well, good evening, everyone. It's it's good to see you all. Uh, it feels like I am compelled to say Happy New Year because it feels like I haven't seen many of you. In fact, it's my first time up front this year. Uh, but praise God for seeing us to see another year by His mercy, by His grace, and may this be a year of strides of spiritual growth for you. May we see much fruit in your life, and may we hear of the work of God in and through you. This evening we will talk about one savior, one body, one meal, and our passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 17, oh, chapter 11, verse 17 to 34. So you can go and position yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 34. Tonight, in our passage, the, the Apostle Paul starts off with violence. He, he starts this passage with a, a finger pointed to the church. He says, when the church gathers together, they are not gathering together, remembering the one Savior. They are not as one body, and they don't gather together to enjoy one meal. In fact, the Apostle Paul says what the church was doing was actually a mockery to the body and the blood of Christ. See verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. You remember as we started from chapter 8, the Apostle Paul was dealing with the so-called gray areas. You remember him saying, when it comes to not touching a woman, yes, but. When it comes to meat offered to idols, he said, yes, well, eating meat offered to idols, the Apostle Paul responded by saying, yes, but. But now he's going to say, when it comes to these following instructions, I couldn't even say yes. He couldn't commend the church because when it came to the Lord's Supper, when it came to spiritual gifts, when it came to love, the church got it completely wrong. See, when it comes to communion, it is not a gray area. Christ had left us with instructions on how we are to remember his death till he comes. The table was to be one of remembrance. It was to be one of unity. It was to be a table of self-examination and the church had missed this. So much so that the apostle Paul says to the church, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. sobering and a scary indictment by the apostle Paul. It was good that the church met. They did not forsake the gathering of the saints as the writer of Hebrews instructs, but when they gathered it produced evil versus good. When they gathered it was for the worse instead of the better. It was breaking down and not building up. Central Baptist Church is this true of us. 
at Central, we rightly emphasize the need for community. We rightly emphasize people to be faithful to the gathering. But tonight, Central Baptist Church, when we meet together, is it for the better or for the worse? When we meet, who is at the center of our worship? When we meet, have we died to ourselves and are walking in newness of life? Whose name receive, receives the praise, not just when we're singing songs, but when we fellowship with each other? Are we united or are we divided? So let's read this passage as we consider what the apostle instructs in these next few verses. So verse 17 again. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we judged but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it is not for judgment. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. Let us pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that your word is true, that your word is from you. Your word is a revelation of who you are. God, we thank you for your spirit who ministers in our hearts that we no longer see your word as foolishness. So God, we pray even as we listen to your word being preached and as I preach your word, that God, your word would go forth as a fire that you would convict our hearts, God, if, if there be any sin that you've revealed from these passages. God, I pray that it not be true of us. Lord, may we not be a church that is divided in our flesh, but God, may we be a church that stands united for the cause of Christ. 
We pray, Lord, as well, even as I preach, that you will protect me from speaking any of my opinions or seeking the spotlight on myself. But we pray that it would be you who speaks to us tonight through your word and by your spirit. Lord, we pray even as we continue through the series in 1 Corinthians that, Lord, you wouldn't get tired and just think, oh, another passage, another passage. But, Lord, may we continue to grow hungry and thirsty for your word, and may we grow by it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So the first thing I would like us to see tonight is the problem that is factions. The problem that is factions. We saw in verse 17 that the Apostle Paul says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. In verse 18 he says, For in the first place when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Word had, had arrived to the Apostle Paul that there are some divisions in the church. And as he hears of these divisions, he makes it a priority that he deals with them because of the destructive nature of these divisions. The problem of their divisions took first place in the mind of the Apostle Paul. You'll notice he says in verse 18, but in the first place, but you read the, all the verses in the next chapters and you won't give us a second place. This was of great importance. How can our coming together be a blessing when our hearts are divided? How can our coming together as a church be a blessing when we are far apart with unbiblical divisions? Oh, how we do so well when we gather together with smiles at each other, and pseudo-unity to get this religious activity of Sunday by Sunday over with whilst we know in our hearts that we have showed partiality in the church of Christ. We know in our hearts that there are issues that are left unresolved and we are okay with it. We know in our hearts that we are harboring unforgiveness and yet we go ahead with the table, we drink the cup, we eat the bread like nothing is wrong. There is a problem. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. There is a problem in the church. And the problem, the first thing we'll see, was fleshly divisions. The problem, in fact, was fleshly divisions. Brothers and sisters who should have been living in harmony as members of God's family were in disharmony and discord. Believers who should have been walking in the spirit were clearly walking in the flesh for the fruit of their fellowship was that of the flesh and not of the spirit. Paul says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. These words must have come as a shock to the church. Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean what we celebrate is not the Lord's supper but something else? They could have said, we've been doing this for years. We can respond in the same way. We've been doing communion for years. It's second nature now. What Paul is saying here was that this is not the manner in which the Lord has taught us to celebrate his work on the cross. He is reminding them that it is the Lord's table and not yours. They were not remembering Christ, but they were actually celebrating self. It is the Lord's table. He initiated it. He instructs us on how to partake of it. He determines who is invited to sit around the table. 
And as we've, so, as we've seen, as a common thread amongst Christians, is that they let their selfish desires come ahead of God's intended purpose and will. What is supposed to be the table of the Lord was turned into a table of sin. See verse 21 and 22, he says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes, one goes, one goes hungry and another goes drunk. What a shame. What a shame that the love meal that was supposed to unite the church actually showed how divided they were. The love meal was used to display the power of the gospel to bring people together, but this meal only displayed the power of self to divide. See, it doesn't take much for selfish schisms to develop. We naturally don't go for unity. We are naturally against unity. We naturally would rather fellowship with that which is more like us. But we are to remember the words of Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you... Remember that I, at a, at a time, was separated from Christ. I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time when we were not a people. There was a time when we were not invited around the table. We were his enemies. We were opposition to the kingdom of God. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new people in place of the two, so making peace." And, rec and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing their hostility. There was once two people. There was once the Jew and the Gentile, but God has abolished. He has broken down that wall of hostility and he has brought us together. What Paul is talking about when he's talking about this meal is the church used to participate in what they called a love meal or an agape feast. And this meal usually preceded or it came before communion and it was designed to show that we are one in Christ. We are united in him. In this meal, the poor would eat with the, re with the rich. The Jews feasted with the Greeks and the Gentiles. Men and women sat around the table and they ate what they contributed. It was a bring and share, by the way. This would mean for some in the church that this was, this was the only full meal that they had because there were the poor among them. This was the only time a person or a poor person would be able to sit across the table to a wealthy businessman and they sat around the table as equals. But instead of this, a self-centered, factuous clique developed, almost doing away with what Christ's death was to show. 
The rich ate of what they brought whilst the poor stood there hungry. The slaves who had no time to pass by the marketplace before they came to the meeting place for bread sat hungry as some members in the name of unity sat at private tables feasting as kings. It was with this heart that they wanted to transition to communion. It was with this heart that they wanted to transition to eating the bread and drinking a cup. And it is to this that the Apostle Paul is saying, what a mockery. And so Paul expresses his disappointment. In verse 22, he says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So those were the fleshly divisions that were seen in the church. But the Apostle Paul in verse 19 also shows us that in the church there will be those biblical or divine divisions. See the end of verse 18 and and verse 19. He says, And I believe it in part. I believe that there are factions among you. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. With all this said of the sin of the people at Corinth, Paul clarifies that he knows that there will be divisions in the church. Do not be surprised when you find out of divisions and schisms in the house of God. These are not man-made divisions in the sense that you won't find us appointing a deacon of divisions. However, these are of divine origins. God will grow his sheep among the goats. He will allow those who are masquerading as one of us to grow, to sit among us. And we might even think that they are one of us. Remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew 13, 36, he said this, it's on the board. He says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom kingdom of God, he who has ears, let him hear. When Paul says there must be factions, he says there is the inevitability of factions among us. And by that word factions, he means there will be those who have different opinions, especially self-willed opinions, which substitute for the submission to the authority of truth and lead to divisions to the formation of sects. So there will be those who will be pushing their agendas so hard that their agendas become truth, rivaling the word of God. They will be among us looking to cause divisions visions, do not be surprised. MacArthur said, church divisions 
church divisions, ungodly and sinful as they are, nevertheless is used by the Lord to prove the worth of his faithful saints. In the midst of bickering and divisiveness, they are separated out as pure gold is from the dross. Evil helps manifest good. Trouble in the church creates a situation in which true spiritual strength, wisdom, and leadership can be manifested. So just the church will have genuine believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who are bearing the fruit of righteousness gathered to worship. But at the same time, there will be those who claim to be Christians who are fluent in Christianese. They have shoots but no fruit. They will convince us that they are part of the family, but they were never of us. Those who will be like Judas Iscariot, those who will be like Demas, those who will be like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who make a shipwreck of the faith. So you might ask yourself, what is the difference between these divisions? What is the Apostle Paul really talking about? What is he really against in this passage? Well, it goes without saying that he is against fleshly divisions. He is against fleshly divisions amongst believers. As believers, we must not be pursuers of factions and schisms. We must not be divided by opinions and self and ethnicity and financial standing and age and gender. We are to be one in Christ under the authority of his word with his spirit working in us. Those who are not of us will come to surface and God will bring them to the book. We must know the truth that we may be able to discern what is good and what is evil. You see, friends, the the death of Christ achieved what nothing in this world can. The death of Christ has unified us. It has united us. The scales have fallen from our eyes. The spirit has taken residence in our hearts. We are convicted of our sin. We are able to repent. We realize that we are forgiven and therefore can and must forgive. We appreciate the members of the body of Christ and we appreciate our role in the body of Christ. We understand, as again says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The work of Christ on that cross was not to create a one-man faith where you shun other believers and pursue Christ on your own. It was also not to secure you into the body of your choice with people you like or people who are like you or people who talk like you. It was to bring you into his body. It was to bring you to his family. It was to bring you to a body of believers who consists of people from every generation, every tribe, every language made visible in the local church. So when we eat, We celebrate that we are saved by grace. We celebrate that we are one. 
We celebrate that we can build each other up in the most holy faith. We celebrate that God is at work in saving souls. We marvel and rejoice and sing songs of praise that in His grace He has saved and brought together a strange bunch as we are. As you've heard it said, baptism brings the one to the many, but communion brings the many to the one. So warning and instruction, my second point. Warning and final instructions. Verse 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So firstly, we are to come in reverence. Come in reverence. Though we don't believe in transubstantiation or consubstantiation, we still believe that this meal possesses a sacredness to it. To come to the table in an unworthy manner does not dishonor the ceremony, but it dishonors the one in whose honor it is to be celebrated. This is not just a religious practice. This is not just a slot in a Sunday service. It is a day to stop and pause and remember Jesus. Reality is, God knew that we will be a busy people. God knew that we are busy in our lives. In fact, even as a church, we are busy. You heard there's Awana, there's youth, there's men's da 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 da. We are a busy people. How often do we stop and pause to remember who is at the center of it all? We need to pause and remember that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to stop and pause and ask ourselves the the, the question, what is the mission of the church? Pause, ask yourself the question, what is the purpose to which God has left me on earth? Why didn't he save me and call me home? Why has he still left me here? This table is to bring us to remembrance. But we also get so busy and so distracted by the cares of this world that we also don't do much reflecting of ourselves. Sometimes we don't realize how far we have drifted from God in sin because we are too busy to pause and search our hearts. So this is an opportunity. When we come to the table, it's an opportunity to pause and examine our hearts to see if, hey, have I been divisive? Have I been self-centered in the church? Have I been proud? We are to pause and examine our hearts to see, hey, is there sin that is left unconfessed? We are to examine our hearts to see, hey, has self usurped Christ from the throne of my heart? So not only are we to come in reverence, but we also are to consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you eat the bread and drink the cup without considering the body of Christ, his church, you bring judgment upon yourself. So you must ask yourself the question, 
Have I been reconciled with my brother in church with whom we once had conflict? You must ask yourself the question, am I a key player in the current divisions present in the church? If yes, you must confess your sin before God. If yes, you must go and make right with whomever you have divided, with whomever you have sinned in being divisive with. Friends, the consequences are deadly. Consider verse 30. It says, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. A quick warning even as you read that passage. This verse does not give us license to search those who are ill or those who are sick in the church with accusations of they might have sinned. This verse doesn't give us that license. But this verse does confirm that God does bring about corrective discipline to those whom he loves to the extent of extracting them from the mission and calling them home. Friends, this is no game. See verse 31 and 32. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, oh man, listen to this, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is to save you from eternal condemnation. Praise God that he disciplines those whom he loves. So you need to be honest with yourselves, as verse 31 says. Be honest with yourself as you come to the table. I mean, God sees all things anyway. You can't deceive him. Bring your heart open before his throne. The sins he reveals in your time of reflection, the sins he reveals in your time of examination, friends, must not drive you away from Christ. However, they are to point you back to remember Christ. That's the point of the table. Remember Jesus. Remember it is even that sin that you remembered when you examined your heart. It is even that sin that he paid for. So confess that sin, repent of that sin, and start putting together the process by the help of the Spirit to put that sin to death. Finally, celebrate together. Verse 33 and 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it is not for judgment. About, the things, about other things, I will give direction when I come. A few things before we move to the table. If you are physically able, I'd like to urge you tonight, be faithful in attending the gathering this year. Do not make excuses as to why you are unable to gather together. Be faithful to come together, not just during communion services, but every Friday, oh, sorry, every Sunday. We long to fellowship with you. We long to worship God with you. Be faithful. Secondly, be faithful even during communion Sundays. I hope you've seen from this passage why you can't have communion in your house. 
Because in your house, it doesn't display the unity of the body of Christ coming together with all our differences, seeing his work in all our lives, remembering his death, his burial and resurrection for the church of Christ as seen in the local body. So come, come and celebrate if you are able physically the Lord's table among us. But also... We need to eat some more as a church. Not communion, but actual food. We need to be more intentional of getting into each other's homes and breaking bread. So the challenge tonight is open up your home. Open up your home for people to, if you can't afford, tell them to bring a plate so you can eat together but also suggest opportunities for us as a whole body to gather together and feast that we can show love around a table. But in these meals, do not be gluttonous. If you are hungry, the Apostle Paul says, go and eat at home. Do not use these meals as opportunities again to feed yourself or to make it to be about you. The point is that everyone must get of what is shared so that together they can enjoy fellowship in Christ for what he has provided. So the Apostle Paul's challenge here is that there's one Savior, Jesus Christ. There is one body, the church and there's one meal the communion table in which we are to remember him let's pray god we we come before you tonight lord acknowledging that we indeed are a sinful people lord we come tonight acknowledging lord the the sinfulness of our hearts and how easy it is for us, Lord, to start divisions and schisms and cliques in the local church. God, we do pray that we wouldn't be those in the church who bring about opinions that, that we believe are so great that they supersede your word. God, when you raise those from among us, I pray that you will give us the ability, give us the discernment to see that this is not of God. And as Titus has so warned, Lord, give us the ability to move them from among us, that we may protect the church of Christ, that we may protect your flock. Lord, I pray that you teach us to see from this passage that, God, you have a heart for your flock. God, you want your flock to be gathered together. You want your flock to be edifying each other. God, your flock is that temple that you are building that is made up of spiritual stones. So God, we want to thank you. Thank you for the people we have from all generations. Thank you for the people we have from all social economic classes. Thank you for the people we have from all ethnicities. Thank you for the men and the women among us. Thank you, Lord, for the people that you have gathered together, even from different nations and tribes, to join us in this church to worship you. As we come to the table, won't you reveal in our hearts if there be any divisiveness in us, if there be any partiality in us, or God, if there be any conflict in us.
Lord, if, if there is something that is left un, unmended between brothers, Lord, I pray that right now your hand would be heavy on the hearts of those individuals. That God, they would heed the conviction of your spirit. That they would go and they would reconcile. Oh God, may we be a community not just in word, but may we be a community of Christ in even the way that we act. Lord, bind us together this year that we will grow together in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.